Hi, Marion. Hey, Anand, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Really fine, really fine. Yeah, it's very nice to see you today. Yeah, me too. And it has been a long time that I've been watching Subject 2 and I was like, when is going to be my turn, right? <laughs> yeah, but you have received the invitation um, yes, I, I mean, quite a while ago, and then uh, yeah. yeah, I know. I never felt I'm ready, you know, to be <laughs> there. And then you see all great names, and you're like, mm. yeah, yeah. No, you're I'm more than invitation. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, and yeah, it's, it's my pleasure. Yeah. So today, my guest is Marion Darvish. She's an associate professor in the Department of Operations and Decision Systems at Université Laval in beautiful Quebec City. Her research focuses on applying OR tools and techniques to solve real-world problems, mainly to develop methods to improve the supply chain's economic and environmental efficiency. She's an active member of CIGELT, which is quite known there in, in Quebec, in Montreal and Quebec City in Canada. Come on internationally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, she has published and worked on several projects with CIGELT members. Her papers are mainly published in EJOR, IGPE, TRE, and IGPR. Uh, she's also a co-founder of Mobilopt, a research group founded in collaboration with Leandro Coelho and Jacques Renaud in 2020, which is dedicated to mobility optimization. Um, Marion is the recipient of several research and teaching medals from her faculty and the student association of the faculty. She's from Iran and did her undergraduate and master's studies there but she lived and studied in several countries. Marianne, um, it's a pleasure, as I said uh, in the beginning, to have you here. Thank you so much for having accepted the invitation. Very happy to be here with you, Anand. Yeah. So, uh, so let's start. Um, how is your name pronounced in Farsi? I always had this curiosity. Oh, uh, yeah. So um, in Farsi, it is Mariam, okay? But then um, I answer to whatever, Maria, Miriam, Maria, Miriam, you know, depending on which country I lived in, people pronounce it differently, and I answer to all of them. Okay, and what about the surname? But you pronounce it really well. Oh, thank you. And what about the surname? It is Darvish. Ah, okay, excellent. Um, so where do you come from in Iran? I am from Tehran. But originally we are from North. So my parents, uh, they are from North, but I studied in Tehran. I lived in Tehran my whole life. Mm. Tell me more about your parents. Which is the capital of Iran. Ah, yeah, yeah. Tell me more about your parents, please. Um, so my dad, he has a master's degree from the University of Tehran in civil engineering. And my mother, uh, an interesting story, she is now doing her PhD in psychology. So in uh, a couple of months, in two months, she's going to have like the PhD exam. Um, it happened that uh, when she had to go to the university, it was after revolution. And then we had this uh, university, the universities got closed and then she got married and then she had all. So at certain point, she decides to go back to school. So at the time I was at the school, my mom also went through like the undergrad and then the graduate. Um, yeah. So that's about my mom's mom yeah. and dad. Very interesting. Yeah, you know, when my mom was doing her PhD, my brother was uh, going hey, through the university. Yeah, so he had a similar yeah. experience as you had. Yeah, 
And uh, how did your parents influence you? So uh, my mom, uh, you see, is a source of inspiration. Like at her age, she's doing a PhD, and then you tell yourself, no matter what new projects you want to start, you say, okay, you have a role model in front of you. If she can do it, I can do it too. Uh, but like throughout like our school time, they were super supportive. I remember like my dad, we, whenever we had like exercises to do, assignments to do, he was there like helping us. And he was also doing the fun part of solving a problem. You know, he was now I know he was using some sort of heuristics to come up with a solution. And my mom, she had these uh, learning techniques, I think invented by herself at that time. She was using colors like markers to kind of differentiate the information that was on a page. And she was using this coding system. Um, example, like I remember we had to memorize the products being produced in Pakistan. And then she was like making fun abbreviations. Even today, I just need to remember that one word. And then it reminds me of all the products that are going to are being produced in Pakistan. So, you know, like both of them, they were very supportive. They were all the time by our side and uh, they were helping us at the school and making it like fun and also kind of a value for the family. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I can also relate uh, to that idea of coming up with funny words or sentences so you can sort of you? summarize so to summarize some information for example i did that to uh oh. memorize the the elements of the periodic table so some of the, so I, I i took the initials and come up with a and i came up with some words or something so that actually helped very much and i kept using uh the same uh technique if you will uh later on too uh yeah so I understand. Yeah, it is very practical yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you mentioned that it has been an influence on us. Uh, I, mm -hmm. I assume you have siblings then? Yeah, I have a brother and a sister. Uh, both of them are younger than me. My sister is a medical doctor and my brother has a PhD in uh, mechanical engineering. Wow, wow. So, I mean, it's a family full of people that have accomplished highly relevant uh, things that's that's nice. I would say education was like highly valued in the family. So yeah, yeah, very very nice. Um, so you have about my age. So you were born after the Iranian Revolution, and you were a kid during the Iran Iraq War. Uh, what are your memories from that period? Um, you know, like I was a kid. I was not even going to to school during the war. And then I have some really, you know, a few recollections here and there. What I remember, it was like we were watching cartoon with my um, with my brother. And then there was like this alert that we have to run into a shelter as much as as a kid, you want just to run into the window and see the war plane. And then it was, you know, like uh, the wartime, it, it has its own tragedies going on and then people are down and then it, it has in, its influence on you and it, it stays for some time. At certain point, because the war was in the southern part of Iran and then people were moving to the north. So at certain point, as also I remember with my mom, uh, we went to our place in the north and then we stayed there while my dad had to go back and forth to Tehran and then joining us for the weekend back there. So um, it, it is quite a special, you know? Uh -huh. And uh, what type of questions do you often get for being an Iranian? And can you cite some cultural differences compared to the Western world? Oh, yeah. Um, 
So like for, for the type of questions that I'm getting with time, it has changed. Like some 10 years ago, people were asking me if we live in tents, if we have cars in Iran, if we use forks or, you know, this kind of questions. But today the questions are different. Like what type of music you listen to? Do you read like novels written by non-Iranians, this kind of questions. Uh, for the cultural differences, there are some cultural differences and some like, you know, everyday kind of differences. For example, um, in Iran, the weekends are not Saturdays and Sundays, they are Fridays, right? Or let's say in Iran, we do not celebrate 1st of January as our uh, new year. We have our own new year, which is the first day of uh, spring, 21st of March. So these are like some like minor differences. But one thing that I can tell you, and it is funny, is that you know that in Farsi, we write from right to left, right? And then I have a, this really amazing uh, master student, and then I co-supervise her with Leandro. So during the first rounds, it was me reading and reading just to get like a good structure and send the paper to Leandro. She had a network. And then um, like a figure that's showing a hop network, she was putting the origin on the right and then the destination on the left. She did it. I went through the, the, the paper several times. Nothing was not usual. So I passed and then I gave the comment another round, another round. We sent it to Leandro. The first thing that he sees is like, maybe you should move the origin to the left and destination to the right. We were discussing with my student later and I'm like, you see how the mind is not even able to see that this is not normal. You know, you just uh -huh. like accept this as, as it is. So, yeah, there are there, there are differences as some of them. Uh, you do not even see them, you know, like yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm fascinated about this. And by the way, I, I watch several Iranian movies and I, I like every one of them that I watched. So you have many talented uh, directors for sure. And yeah, it's, it's very, very nice. Um, yeah, another thing that I find interesting is that in Farsi, there's no pronoun for he or she, right? Please correct me uh, if I'm wrong. Yeah, definitely. So for us, it is like, we just say somebody is working, somebody is coming. We do really do not care if it is a he or a she. And then it is within the constant context that you find, find out, like, if it was a she or a he. Uh -huh. And then sometimes when, at least for me, it happens, and I, I feel like for a lot of my Iranian friends, you're telling a story, and then in the middle of the story, you just, like, mention she as a he, he as a she, because in my head, it doesn't exist, you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> yeah. I'm forcing myself to use it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's very amusing. <laughs> uh, and uh, how living in Iran as a baby boomer made you a fighter and you were a baby boomer by the way right because you were born more or less in the early 80s so i think i think so from what i remember you know the schools were all the time overcrowded okay uh -huh. to the point that in iran we have like the education system back there was that we had five years of elementary school three years of what we called middle school and then three years of high school plus one year added if you wanted to go to the university so throughout my elementary school time we were we had two shifts a.m p.m and then there were benches of three students you know how many students can be in a school then um i remember again like one of the panicking moments where that you wake up uh, 9 a.m and you are like oh my god i missed the school day and then your mom says no 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 don't worry you were on the p.m shift 
we were rotating, you know? So how does it make you a fighter? I have to say like for every step, you, you had limited capacity for the school capacity, let's say for the university. So if you wanted to go to the top schools of the city, if you wanted to go to the top universities of the country, you had to pass the entrance exam. So the whole your whole life, you are fighting to find your place somewhere, which is like good, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think it kind of like living the competition or like living in a situation like that makes you in a way competitive and then you have no choice to fight mm-hmm. right to yeah. find your place yes yes i get it uh, and can you cite some of the challenges you have to face being a girl in iran um Okay, the society is in a way that um, there is a difference between boy and a boy and a girl. Okay, so there are things that boys are allowed to do, but as a girl you cannot do. And then at the school also, you there are rules imposed to you because you're a girl. Uh, so this is from the society. And then uh, on the other hand, there are like some families also who do not uh, kind of feel the, the the importance of education for girls. Luckily, I was not among one of those, like I was not in one of those families, but I had girls who, to, 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 to their dream, it seemed that there was a there was a limit, you know, like after high school, they had to get married because that was enough. Or after, let's say, undergrad studies, it was enough. Now you have to build up your family and, you know, you have to become a mom. I'm not saying that having a family or becoming a mom is a bad thing if you want to do it. But if it is imposed by, let's say, your family, then it is like, you know, all the talents that could be something sometime, but it, they are like wasted. You yeah. see what I'm saying? Yeah, I get it. Yeah, it is sort of an upper bound. Uh, exactly. It, it, might, it might also happen in different countries and cultures. It's not necessarily uh, something that exactly. is uh, only about Iran. So I think exactly. it's so right at the same moment that we are talking, there are school girls and there are only girls in Iran who are being poisoned at the school and they are like uh, in the hospital. At the same time that we are talking, you know, there are like those small school girls in Afghanistan who are forbidden to go to school, you know, and then there is, a, as you said, the upper bound is quite like too, too low. Right? Yeah. You cannot you cannot do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you have to set the bar high to uh, have competent people around and uh, encourage them to develop and aim high and have, you know, goals and dreams. Uh, you cannot just, you know, uh, introduce barriers just for the sake of uh, having someone uh, limited for no uh, reasonable uh, motivation, right? Again, I think it is a waste of talent, you yes. know, and a waste of human resource, potentially good resources that you could have, but you're just like losing them like anything else that you may lose. Uh, it is a wasted kind of talent. Exactly. Um, what did you do to have fun when growing up? So, you know, like part of the life when you are like competing to get a position somewhere at a university or in a school is like you're dedicated to your study. Right. But then um, me, I, I we were in an apartment building in which like I had some friends and then all of them, they were they, they turned to be like boys. So I was like playing soccer with them. We were playing badminton. You know, we were building up cars, you know, whatever that uh, guy, boys are interested in doing. 
at the same time, like I was doing swimming, but I was reading a lot of books. So my my fun was to wait for the summer to get out of like the school to have kind of a break. And then I was going to the bookstore and then I was like selecting the books that I want to finish during the summer. Wow. And so it's what so it was about uh, playing and reading, uh, essentially playing and reading. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, did you do well in school? Hey, yes, very well. I was like a good student at school. Yeah, I have to say to the point that, you know, most parents, they are like, oh, come on, go back, do your homework. But to me, it was like, come on, it is enough. We want to travel. You cannot stay home. You have to go. <laughs> No, you no. It's you are going to have some fun. It is not going to be there. Yeah, yeah I was. Yeah. I was working hard. Let's say. Yeah. I was not the smartest. I was not, you know, different than any other students. But I was working hard. Uh huh. Very nice. And it's nice to know that you always had the support of your parents, and that makes a difference, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Ex excellent. And and what made you choose industrial management as an undergrad degree? Is it similar to industrial engineering? Uh, okay, so the thing is, I did not select industrial management in the first place. I was kind of selected. Uh, so the thing is, we have, I told you, we have the entrance exam to go to the university. And despite all my hopes and all the hard, hard work and everything, I did not, I, I, it did not go well. It did not go as I expected. So basically, my dream, my dream, my goal was to go for engineering, let's say, uh, kind of whatever engineering, you know, uh, when you're coming from Iran and you are a good student at the time, either you were going to become a medical doctor or you were going to become an engineer. OK, at a certain point at high school, I decided that I want to become an engineer. And then it was like I remember one of my biology teachers told me that uh, you're going to you're going to regret your decision sometime. I don't know where, when, but um, so that was a decision. So I had the idea, no matter what type of engineer, you know, there is a social image also associated to that. So I wanted to become an engineer. But then uh, with the, let's say the, the ranking from the entrance exam, I was not. I selected some universities in Tehran and I wanted to stay in Tehran. Then um, it didn't happen. So when I was choosing, uh, when I was yeah, selecting, let's say the major and the university, my dad was like, why not industrial management? It was the first time I was like hearing about it. And it is the closest to industrial engineering. And then I did it really reluctantly. Uh -huh. I, I just put it there just in case I did not get accepted to any of these engineering. And uh, yeah, lucky me, this is uh, what I am kind of, uh, um admitted to so then um what is the difference from what i know you know we have some we had similar courses let's say we had production and operation management we had operations research course but then in our uh, curriculum we had more let's say uh accounting finance and they had more engineering courses mm. so you got to know r during your undergrad then Yes, uh, actually, we had two courses, two uh, operations research courses in um, the undergrad level. So the first one was basically like modeling. And then the second one, it was uh, heuristics. OK, then um, I but I remember 
when I got admitted to um, industrial management, my dad came to my room with a folder. And at the time, it was a real folder, not a computer folder. And then he had um, the copies of a course note from a guy who, um, a professor at the time, a young professor who kind of brought to Iran the first ideas of operations manage, um, operations research. And then he apparently was a visiting researcher at the University of Waterloo. And then uh, he, my dad told me, uh, look, this is cool stuff. And then look at the modeling. And I was like, oh my God, yes, this is a really fun. I, I liked it, you know, to how to get a problem description and then to translate it into a model. It was fun for me. Yeah, and when I got really serious about OR myself, uh, my mom once came with some notes. I mean, she took a copy of those notes, uh, and it was about the simplex method. And she got it for some reason when she was doing her PhD. Like she was exploring so many things, and she ended up with that. And and I found it really uh, interesting, you know, to, so that yeah. she somewhat knew OR, but she didn't study that, and she did a PhD. In in chemistry that has nothing to do with or yeah in the first place but yeah it's again a similar story uh yeah but to me you know it was like i have access to a treasure that nobody else has ah. so i was going through the notes also and it was like very well written it was handwritten mm. but then yeah like you know let's say maybe 20 30 pages uh -huh. but uh, yeah just like the basics of or ah. And the courses also, I love them. The professors were both were young. So I think at the time it was kind of new. And then, um, yeah, very interesting topics. And I was like, oh, yeah, it is fun yeah, stuff. Yeah, nice. Uh, you switched universities for your master's, correct? Yeah. So um, I told you, like, my, my dad was a proud graduate of University of Tehran. So all the time we were hearing stories about, and they are, the graduates are, like, mainly proud. So it was a dream for me to be at the University of Tehran. So again, we did another interest exam. And then this time, um, I get ranked really high. So I am, uh, I think I was first in one major, second in another major. And then I, I could choose, okay? <laughs> so then um, I did industrial management at the University of Tehran. Ah, I suppose your father was very happy that you got uh, the position there, right? Yeah, and it was, you know, yeah, yeah. It, it was his university yeah. in a way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so what was your research emphasis during the master's? So our master program was that first we had some courses and then we had a thesis to write and also a presentation to do. Um, and then from what I know now, uh, it was kind of soft OR, you know, we had courses, we had one course in operations research, we had a course in multi-criteria decision making, and then I think we had a course in production operations management. But then what um, I, I'm, I'm watching the the your 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 interview with Saroosh. He was also mentioning some multi-criteria decision making um, projects, and I think at that time maybe it was trendy. Okay, everybody was doing fuzzy stuff. So for me, it was the same. Basically, I used um, the, the multi-criteria decision-making methods to come up with a measure of agility for a supply chain, okay? So I mixed um, some techniques to be, uh, to be able to say, look, uh, this company has a measure of five. So if you compare it to the other with 
which has like the measure of four. This one is more flexible, less responsive, you know, so to kind of be able to quantify the, the, the agility of the supply chain. So that's, that's what I did. Mm. So it was more software, as you said, so you were not into, you know, coding and developing algorithms per se. You... I was far from that. Ah, okay. No. Yeah. No. Mm -hmm. And what were the main challenges you had to face during your master's? Um, so first of all, um, the, um, my idea, like the idea was always that I wanted to go abroad and I wanted to have the experience of a study in a university out of Iran. So then the question was the timing. I, um, my, my father's idea was that after undergrad, you need to leave for your graduate studies. But then me uh, being ranked the first, I felt like, no, why not? I can't <laughs> say. So I stayed there. But then um, at certain point, I was like, you know, um, yes, OR was called now advanced OR, you know, productions operation was called now advanced production operation. But I couldn't see that much of difference. And then at the same time, there were like some um there, there was a situation you know like in iran you are at least in my program you were forced to write a paper to be able to get a plus on your thesis and then they were keeping two points out of 20 at the time and then um upon submission of a paper you could get the 20 you could get an a plus and then it was kind of again at the same time i'm telling you fuzzy was trendy it mm -hmm. was really fuzzy how many paper is enough like is it two then do you need a submission an acceptance so it kind of um it kind of creates an, a, a stressful situation at the end of the day uh-huh and looking back do you regret staying in iran for your masters <clears throat> uh, on all in all i do not look back on that okay uh -huh. i never look back so because i'm like the, you are bounded the decisions are bounded to the time, to the place, and to your mental condition at the time, uh -huh. including like uh, your wisdom. With what I knew and with the situation back there, I do not regret it, okay? Uh, but I believe if, um, if I, I had done something else, if I had applied at the time to go to the US, my path would have been different. I do not say better or worse, I just say different, okay? Yeah. Well, the past, the, it took me long to get here, you know, to, to get to know that o, OR is something that I want to do. It took me long. But when I got here now, I appreciate it really a lot. Yeah, yeah. Very nice, Marian. Uh, I have one curiosity. Uh, did you have to pay a tuition fee during your studies in Iran or education was free at that time? Um, so um, in Iran, we I think still we have two kind of system, two kind of universities, public or private, private you pay. In public universities, you do not pay anything during your, your study, okay? But once you are done, once you, once you graduate, either you have to work for the government or you have to kind of release your diploma by paying for it. Um, like some people, let's say medical students, um, after the studies, they are sent to some villages uh, in the hospitals to work for two years. And this will compensate for the time they studied uh, for free in the system. In my case, uh, because I wanted to move and I was like kind of um, 
um, I, I wanted, I was looking for a fast solution. I decided to release, let's say, um, the, the diplomas. Uh, okay. Uh, did you have to work doing your master's, uh, you know, to get some money to pay to afford your, your studies? Um, I was not working, working like full time working and studying. A lot of students were doing it. A lot of my friends, uh, me, what I had uh, and I started when I was in the master's program, um, I was working part time as an English teacher and it was uh, mainly a, like a fun job, a side job, if you call it. But then it happened because um, I was taking English courses forever. And at a certain point, I'm like, I cannot continue doing it. Right. And then I started going to uh, free discussion classes and then just to have a way to practice, because, you know, that in Iran, we speak Farsi and we do not speak like English on the everyday basis. Then um, I applied for this job. And um, it was with um, and, and with, with the Iran Language Institute and then to get the job, they gave us some kind of teacher training course. And then, oh, my God, I learned a lot of things during this course, uh, like how to how to present, like how to manage your your voice, because most of the time that is not an issue with me. I'm never I'm not talking. I'm always speaking like loudly, you know, and this is one of the things that I kind of, it was really appreciated in that in, in that uh, teacher training course. And then for um, a couple of years, I was teaching English to kids seven to ten. Uh, it was an amazing experience, especially like uh, you had to be super patient. And this was something that I didn't have at the time. Uh, but super fun. Sometimes I even think about the students, where they are now, what, are, what they are doing, you know, working with kids is also is fun. Yeah. Uh, you tried to go to the U.S. after finishing your master's, right? Was that the first time you traveled abroad? Uh, traveling abroad, no, because uh, my family believed that we had to get to know the culture. So I had not traveled a lot, but at least I had traveled with my family to some countries by the time. But then it was the first time that I had to travel on my own. And I tell you, it was one of the first moments in my life that I say, look, if I manage to get there, there is nothing that I cannot do in my life. <laughs> and I managed it. Nice. And how was the experience of living in the U.S. for a few months? Uh, look, I went there as a tourist and the idea was like for me to get to see if uh, it is something that I would like to consider, if uh, I'd like to stay there, you know, to get to know the culture and the country. And I was lucky I lived with my uncle and it is like a, a, the fun period of, of, of my life. But professionally and then from where I wanted to go, it kind of delayed me again. So the plan was that to travel with my dad and then I had to wait because his visa did not get issued. And then when he came, we traveled to several states. But in the time that I was waiting there and I was not supposed to be there, I'm like, what am I going to do? So let's start finding out about the program, about like the the universities. And then the admission deadline has passed. So it was like, you know, it's what am I doing here? What am what do I want to do? Then um, at just by the end, I, I think I got admitted to two universities, one in California, the other one is uh, New Hampshire. And, you know, like you go there hoping to get into MIT Stanford, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know if we can keep it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no. we can, we can, we can. <laughs> of course we can. Okay. Uh, did you take the opportunity to do something else while uh, you were staying in the US? Um, yeah, so like I told you, after my dad joined us, uh, we traveled quite a lot there. But then before that, I had plenty of time and I was not used to having plenty of time. You know, I was either going to the university and then uh, working at the same time. So then uh, one thing was that I was going, I was taking some courses as always, English oh. courses forever. And then the other thing is that, you know, uh, I was Googling myself and then finding out what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> and then one, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but it is like, but honestly, once I was like Googling myself and I found out, oh, I have a paper in Iran. And then, you know, that paper that I mentioned that we have to submit to the committee to get like A plus for the thesis. So my supervisor had submitted it, uh, fortunately, with my name on it. Oh. And then during one of those Google times on my name, I found out that, yeah, I have a paper also in Iran. Uh, but that's not your most cited paper, right? Uh, because you all, that also uh was written while while you're doing masters oh yes yes exactly so um basically when i had that method that i'm telling you the uh, the multi-criteria um before writing the thesis i was like let's do a warm-up and then uh kind of apply to another problem and then um since my dad had this construction company i was kind of familiar with the bidding system they were bidding for construction projects and then the question was for me like how they decide which company wins the bid right and then um i i, I had the set of criteria so you know multi-criteria and i had the method so this time i could apply it to this context to see to come up with some kind of um construction bidding system okay then um this we did it with two of my classmates back then and um it was another of my like um writing paper experiences you know like uh, back there i don't know if it was me who was not asking for help or i didn't have help so i had to do everything from scratch so i started writing the paper and then it is the time where can i submit it i didn't want to writing Farsi. I wanted it to be kind of an international paper and it, to be submitted to an international journal. And it, she, I had no clue when I was like this naive. So I'm like, hmm, management science. It does really? Management <laughs> science? <laughs> okay. Yeah, and I was like submitting it there. It got the rest desk rejected, but they were saying, yeah, it is not in the scope of our paper. Uh, the, it is not in the scope of our journal. Then um, I think um, the, the second try was like, it was a project management in a way. So I submitted it to International Journal of Project Management, I assume. But then it was, um, even today, um, you know, I never go back and read my papers, right? Uh -huh. And then that one is like, you know, the very first paper that I wrote and I had no, I had no idea what I'm doing, you know, it was just like, you read the papers and then you had this idea, you go, why not do I put this? So, uh, yeah, but it is um, my mostly cited paper. I give it to the time, you know, yeah, because yeah. it was published in 2009. Yes, yes. That's a very nice story. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Uh, but That's embarrassing. <laughs> but uh finally you did not uh stay in the us why uh so i got the positions 
And then um, I talked to to the supervisors and then I talked to the so basically I, I, I decided to like apply and then I'm going to stay. I talked to the um, international advisor and then um, the, the, she told me that to show your trustworthiness to the system because you came here with a student visa, it's better to go back and apply for a student visa. Okay. And I totally, I was totally in and it is me, you know, like I am here on a, on a tourist visa. I'm not going to abuse like what is given to me. Yeah. Let's go back. And uh, I have to tell you, I missed my family. It took longer than like expected. I go back like right away and you know that we do not have an embassy in iran so you have to go to another country so i go there and i apply and i get rejected so then the plan wow. to go to the so, so that that's the reason you did not stay in the us after all yeah wow yeah that's a bit sad to hear uh but and uh so what was the plan uh, after this disappointment so after that, um, I think I could have applied for a second time for the visa. Okay. But then I was like, no. Um, and at the time I didn't know that I, I am the type who has to apply always twice. <laughs> so, um, then I'm like, uh, maybe the U S was too far and it's better for me to stay uh, close by. So let's try with the, um, with Europe and then I start applying to PhD programs in Europe and again you go for the name of the universities that you know right and then the chances of getting rejected is quite high then um, rejections 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 um, then at a certain point I'm like okay this is what it is I cannot do a PhD let's just stay here and let's start working so um, I start working as a project coordinator for some oil and gas companies. Later on, I joined my dad's company and I become like the project again manager or something. So I was like working on this scheduling of activities and, you know, uh, project management, let's say. Then at the same time, what happens is that um, I'm like, I have this dream of doing a PhD. Then um, because of that ranking thing in the entrance exam for master's and because I was a top student in a in my master's program, um, there was this possibility in Iran at the time, I don't know if it is still the case, to uh, apply for a PhD position without going through the entrance exam. So that's what I did. And this time I was like, no, I had whatever the management wanted to uh, kind of teach me i think i'm quite okay so i want to go and this time i want to try industrial manager manage industrial engineering so what i do is that i apply to the university of tehran faculty of engineering and the program was industrial engineering this time i also look and i talk to somebody to find like a supervisor back there um, in the program and then I get invited for the interview. Then uh, I get rejected <laughs> for and it is a fun it, it is again a funny story because some 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 time ago the supervisor that I talked to um, kind of I get connected to him on LinkedIn. And then I wrote to him, look, you do not remember me, but I really appreciate the chance you, you have given me. But this is like, uh, I couldn't get into the program, but then um, I, I appreciated that you kind of 
uh, admitted me and then you accepted to be to be my supervisor um and at the time i i i understand i think um there were two other candidates uh, who were from the same uh, faculty and they were maybe the same program and also just before going to this program um my brother was in berlin so he had asked me why don't you come here to do an mba in the university that he was studying in and then they had this MBA program in English. And then he was like, OK, I apply for it. So I, I had already applied for this position. When I go to the interview, they ask me, so what is the plan? And I tell them about like the um, failed US plan. And then um, I have this possibility to do the MBA in Berlin. And they are like, so why don't you move? Why don't you go? You know, like they, they started asking me questions about like, why do you want to do it? And why, why don't you go? Like, so I think I was not convincing enough that no, I want to stay here and I want to do my PhD here. Ah, okay. Long, it can be also that my CV was not as good as the CV of the other. Uh -huh. Yeah. So then you went to Germany. Uh, yes. yeah. So you, you got enrolled in the MBA program there. MBA um, and E and and E here stands for engineering. So finally, I had the engineering somewhere uh, there. Ah, okay, okay, fair enough. Um, and did you have to do research project? Did you have mm -hmm. to, you know, write some monograph or report? Uh, how was it for you to get a degree? Um, so from what I know, the German system is that you have technical universities and you have applied sciences universities. I was not, again, in the right place. I was not in the technical university. I was in the applied sciences. Here, basically, you do um, whatever. You do your studies to be prepared to start like working for a company, okay? So the program was uh, for, I think, a year, two semesters. We had courses, finance again, marketing, supply chain, uh, management, no OR, okay? Mm. And then we had our um, internship to be done. So again, being a University of Applied Sciences, they were like, you, you were supposed to go work for a company, find out, find out a topic and write a report, which is called like a thesis. And then um, you were doing an oral, a presentation uh, for your supervisor, okay? So for this internship, um, my friends, uh, let's say um, my friends who were from China or they were like Spanish speaking, they could easily find a position. But we were three Iranians in the program, at least for all three of us, it was not that easy. For me, I know I had rejections after rejections after rejections. We were applying for company positions. And I have to say uh, my, my German, was not at a level to be able to work in a German company. Okay, that also I, uh, is a fact to be said. So um, like one night, 2 a.m., I remember the next day I had to go to, uh, with the program, we had to go um, to another city uh, for, an, uh, for, for, I think it was a job fair. So 8 a.m. I had to be at the, at the Berlin Central Station, but it is 2 a.m. I am stressed and panicked. I cannot find a position. And then I start thinking, you know, what you do after midnight, right? And then I'm like, what do I want to do? So first of all, I want to do a PhD. 
back then when I was in Iran, I had some French courses. Okay. So now I was introduced to German. I was introduced to French. And then I'm like, I want to be in a French speaking environment. Okay. And I think my French is better than my German. So then, um, okay. So for you, it is not going to a company because you do not be, you do not want to become an employee later, let's say, even in the biggest companies. So what you want to do is that you have to search in French speaking university research center, right? So mm -hmm. three keywords, I don't know in which order, I don't know how I put them in Google, but I see the profile of an Iranian guy. Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Amin was working in a research lab and um, he was doing his PhD. So I just like, again, 2 a.m., now let's say three after all the searches, I send an email to Amin from my Yahoo email account, new subject, and I do it in Finglish, meaning that it is Farsi, but it is with English letters. Uh, the, 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 the worst thing that you can do, yeah. okay? <laughs> I send it, <clears throat> the next day uh, we go to this uh, job fair and then we come back and I could not even remember that I sent this embarrassing email. But then Amin was nice enough to answer and he told me, look, uh, send me the same email again in English so that I could share it with my supervisor. We may have a position here. So the supervisor is Remy, Remy Glardon, who is who had changed my life in a sense. OK, like from here on, you know, the the pieces of puzzles, they kind of get matched only because I met the person who was this supportive. Um, they set up a meeting with me. And then we talk about the project and they are like, okay, but this is not like a paid internship project and Switzerland is expensive. And then I remember at the time I tell them that, uh, look, uh, I feel like I'm investing for a PhD position. So it is good. As long as it kind of leads to a PhD program, PhD position, doesn't matter. For the internship, I apply for the visa. The visa gets rejected again. And then uh, my brother comes up with the idea of working remotely from Berlin. Amin and Remy accepted. So I was traveling whenever needed, like whenever I have to give a presentation, going back and forth. And then I was like staying there in Berlin. Mm -hmm. So this was my internship. Once it was done, then I started uh, the master's the master project this time with the right type of visa. Mm -hmm. I went there mm -hmm. and then I was working directly with Remy and Amin in the lab. Ah, so going to Switzerland and getting to know him was definitely a turning point in your life. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And what did you um, learn uh, in Switzerland? Uh, look, working with um, with Remy, it was kind of, you know, I told you before, I didn't have any mentors to show me how to write a paper. OK, now it was the first step that like. Um, first of all, you, 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 he was like, he's really organized and he, he, like, he has a very clear line of thought. Okay. So he kind of structures your ideas. So I remember even in the beginning, he was like giving me some, let's say a paragraph, write two lines here on the introduction, write two lines here about this then how to connect your ideas and then how to tell the story. Uh, you ended up in Canada for your PhD. How did that mm -hmm. happen? So <clears throat> what happens is that um, when I started working with Remy, I was like telling him that I wanted to do a PhD. Okay. And then um, 
we were discussing about it. At certain point, um, and we know right in the beginning that uh, Remy has the plan to retire in a couple of years from uh, that time. Um, at certain point, we got to know that Remy cannot accept any new PhD students. So again, I was like left with um, no choice but to look for another position. I started looking for positions. I applied for several, I remember. To some, I got invited to interviews. To some, I got invited to present something like my scientific work. But at the end, it rejection, rejection, rejection. Uh, for my um, presentation, uh, like uh, defense, uh, Remy came to Berlin. He was my co, right? He came to Berlin and then we went out for, you know, celebration dinner. And then um, I, I told him, yeah, that is the situation. I'm getting rejections and then I don't know what should I do. I had a position, but it was not a paid position. Um, it was not funded. So Remy told me, no, this is not how a PhD works. A PhD is a full-time job and you need to get paid for the job. Then uh, he was like, are you okay if I look into my network? And I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? Um, so a couple of weeks later, uh, Remy sends me an email do you want to go to Quebec? So I start Googling Quebec, okay? And I'm like, yo, why not? <laughs> so that's how um, it happened. Ah, so was your French good enough uh, by the time you reached <laughs> Canada? Uh, no. So um, again, when I was in Berlin, I applied for the visa to come here. My visa got rejected for the first time. So I had, I was like one semester late. So during this one semester, I started taking French courses because I was freaked out that all the courses that are going to be in French and like my French is not good enough. So I joined the program in, um, in winter. Okay. First of January, I was here. And then at this point, I realized that French is not my biggest challenge. The fact that I do not have the background, these in OR is not like helping me that much, you know? Uh -huh. So I face the reality of doing your PhD in this department, which is like really OR based. Ah, okay. And did you know how to code when you moved to Canada or, you know, to write models and implement mathematical formulations, uh, you mm -hmm. know, coding C++? Tell me how, how, how was the situation? Nothing. Nothing. So when I came here, the idea was that Remy is going to be my co-supervisor. And then I had a professor here who admitted me to the program and he was my supervisor, Benoit Montreuil. So the idea was to continue what I was doing um, in Remy's lab. Okay. Then um, what happens is that I start my classes with, um, uh, we have, I have, a, I have a course, algorithm and heuristics with Monsieur Bakhtar. Today, even I called him Monsieur Bakhtar. And then I look at the syllabus and I'm like, um, he, re he has some assignments that requires coding, right? So it is like session one. <laughs> I go to his office almost crying. And I'm like, I think I'm gonna fail your course because all your assignments require coding and I have no back. I don't know how to do it. I had some like, let's say at, at high school and later on at the university, I had like, Q basic, V basic, VBA, this kind of thing, but basic, basic, right? Uh -huh. But then here it was like real coding. You had to code an algorithm. So then um, he told me, he encouraged me to learn Python. So it was like I started with uh, watching videos and doing like hello print, uh, print hello board, you know, uh -huh. 
then for the mathematical formulation and everything else, Cplex, let's say, and then C++, then again, I have the course with Leandro and then there uh, it was like on production distribution planning and then he required us to write a paper and then he was talking about, you know, different OR problems and you are like, you know, I had to refresh my memory from the undergrad courses I had. And then um, at this point also, uh, Benoit gets the offer from Georgia Tech and then uh, he kind of, he leaves and then I see that it is not working with my bad experience of applying for the visa for the US. So I had to switch supervisor. And then I love the course that Leandro was giving. And then I, I already have started like uh, writing a paper with me. So I switched supervisor, uh, super, uh, Leandro becomes officially my supervisor. Okay. And from this moment on, you know, he teaches me step-by-step step everything that you need. Like, let's say how to write a paper, OR paper, right? Yeah, and using, then, using, using word or letter. Uh -huh. <laughs> So the first thing, I think it was an agreement that he put it on my at my desk from this moment on, you are not going to send me any document, even if it is one page in Word, you have to start using Latin. Uh, and then, you know, the first step, right? You're like in transition, you write everything in Word, you copy paste in Latin, but mm -hmm. then at, after that, you get so addicted that you cannot go. Yes, back. yes, yes. Then um, everything I remember. He gave me the codes for C++, he gave me the codes for Cplex, he gave like me a crash course, 30 minute crash course, I remember that, uh, on how like to use Cplex, how do you define variables, what is an environment, you know, all these um, in Leandro's course, and then later on when we were working on the paper together. Ah, that's excellent. Uh, so what was your PhD thesis about? Um, so in the course with Leandro, we started working on an integrated lot sizing distribution problem. Okay. At the same time, um, there was like a project from an industrial partner that we were working with. And then in that project, uh, we observed that some decisions, let's say, um, in location decision that they are always considered a strategic decision and you do it once and for all and they are not that kind of fixed so during and throughout the time you can rent a space from the neighbor let's say company or in another industrial park so then we included the idea of having this flexibility with this with respect to the network design in the big context of production and distribution planning. Then uh, with the same project, industrial project, um, we noticed that like the goal of the company was to reduce the delivery due date, right? So they were like, we are offering three to five days. So we noticed that there is a flexibility with respect to like the delivery time. And then we wanted to see what is the impact of this flexibility on your production plans and on your distribution plans and eventually on your costs. So the first, the baby ideas were there and then they, they tried to, you know, the other ideas came. We worked with Claudia Archetti. Uh, I am a fan of her. We worked with her on like now adding the ideas of emission into the objective function. So what are the trade-offs between the costs and emissions when you are planning um, in the context 
context of inventory routing problem or production routing problem. Later on, we had the chance, I had the chance to work with Grazia and Claudia on a flex, again, flexible network design in which we added like a, another echelon. So it was a multi echelon, two echelon um, routing problem. So these were like more or less the papers that I work, was working on during my PhDs. And I kind of continued in the same line later on. Ah, and what methods did you use to address uh, these uh, problems and research uh, questions? Mm -hmm. So um, in the beginning, you know, I was using for the first paper, I was using Cplex to solve the problem. OK, and then I thought it is sometimes it is enough, you know, uh -huh. because if the problem is new, your problem description and if Cplex is good enough, so why not? But then later on, it really varied. So mainly it was heuristics. So um, I remember for one of the papers, we use ALNS. And for the other paper, we were using some local search, search, searches like to find out we kind of solution. And then we were fitting this solution to, again, Cplex to get kind of uh, the gap from the optimal solution. You know what I'm saying? Yes, so that's true. It, really, it really varied at the time. Mm. And it is still the case. So depending on the problem, uh, mostly I use like heuristics, but sometimes decomposition method and like the other. Sure. But, but it is it is a combination of the two sometimes. Right, right. Um, did you have any side projects during the PhD? Yeah, that was like a great opportunity that I had. Look, when I started my PhD, the team was young. Jean-François Cote was just hired. Leandro has just started. And then um, a lot of projects were coming on. And then these were young, motivated researchers looking for funding, looking for projects, were into writing papers. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. And then later on, I worked with Jacques Renaud, you know, Jacques, right? Yes, yes. And then, you know, the, the spirit of like keeping it applied was there. So we kept having the projects. And then at the same time, there were not that many students, right? Mm -hmm. So when a project was popping up, they were asking us, do you want to do you want to be part of it? And then you're like, of course, yes. So yes, at the time, I think I worked on two, three of these projects, so, which was like in collaboration with companies. And then again, they were like the ideas for, you know, writing papers or the ideas for like using them in your grant applications. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Should have been a very exciting period for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah very exciting. One. Yeah. And, and can you cite some of the things you learned with Leandro? My very good friend. So um, everything, like I remember the first paper and most probably I should have kept it somewhere. Um, like I sent it to, I wrote the paper, I sent the draft to Leandro to read. And then as we call it, it came bleeding red, you know, <laughs> red, 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 everything. But it was a good thing because he was like showing me how to write a paper. Um, I apparently in the beginning versions instead of like saying what i am doing i was focusing more on what i'm not doing you know highlighting the things that you cannot see in the paper uh -huh. this paper is not about it so the fact that how you can highlight your comp contributions that is something that i have like how to tell the story how to how to like make a contribution mm. then all those things that i mentioned use of like you know they do not they seem like eh, obviously you had to know them but for me they were new like um introduction to or again you know refreshing my memory all those uh, c plex uh, c plus plus coding and then um most importantly 
um, it contribution was with respect to the papers and also when you were presenting, you know. Um, I don't know if you have been into his presentations, but he is a good speaker. Oh, okay? yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I told him that more than once. Yeah. yeah. And after like uh, I after that, like I uh, I saw Gilbert presenting. I saw that, you see, they have like kind of the same style. They oh. have like this story to tell and then they communicate with the audience. You know what I'm saying? And they yes. are cool when they are presenting. So then for me, uh, I was not good at Nant. Like mm. my first presentations, basically at a school in Iran, we are not prepared for this kind of skills. Okay? Mm -hmm. My first presentation in Berlin for a coursework it was a disaster okay <laughs> and i got to know that i get nervous in front of speaking in front of people sometimes it may have happened today so i got to know myself better like meaning i have to avoid the sources of stress like coffee you know uh -huh. but at the same time they're like skills and these skills it uh, leandro kind of was sharing with us all of us he made he was making us practice we had this up uh optimization what was it called research days okay he was planning research days so all the students were had the chance to present and talk and then this is the idea that we had later for mobile presentations right you mm. were there i think yeah for, yeah, yeah. For exactly so there are a lot of uh like let's say technical skills and also softer skills that i uh, i learned from him. uh-huh and tell me about your experience of attending your first conference as a presenter, um, OR conference. Uh, OR conference, it was course uh, 2016, okay? And then I was stressed again, and I remember at the time um, I practiced a lot with friends. Um, then um, what I remember, and um, it was Jean-François Cordeau, he was there, and I was scared, you know, because at the time he had this um, production routing paper with Yosiri, which was the base of um, my work. And I was scared in presenting in front of him. Then it finished and it went well. And then he told me, good job. Okay. Most probably he doesn't even remember. But for me, it was like, oh my God. Okay. And then I learned the other one was like uh, in Quebec. Again, another course uh, conference, and Bernard Gendron was there. And then he attended the, my talk, and then he gave me comments, and then we continued discussion, and then we had like some collaboration ideas, and I'm like, oh my God, these people are nice, you know? And that was something that I learned. I learned from the best, to give good comments, to give attention to those students who are like presenting there and who are like panicked and stressed just to nod, you know, <laughs> just to smile yeah. and just like, go to them. After the talk, everybody goes to the biggest stars to talk to them. Yeah. And yeah. most probably they do not need your encouragement. Just go to these poor PhD students and tell them, look, you did a great job or ask a question, show some interest in their research. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I have it from them. Yeah, that's and fantastic. Yeah, I, I had some very nice experiences also in that regard in, a, in one Brazilian war conference. After the presentation, after the session, Alison, uh, Alison hey, Costa, nice guy. Nice yeah, guy, yeah. He, he was very nice to me. And then Andrea Lodi was there. He was uh, attending oh. the Brazilian conference, uh, Brazilian War conference. And again, very, very supportive. 
And then I, I once, uh, uh, when I was presenting a conference in Spain, Grazia made me a couple of questions. I was very excited that she took interest. And at the end of that session, uh, Jubela Pot came to me and told that I wish I had that idea. So, I mean, yeah, it, it made my day and I, I still remember uh, to this day, you know, uh, very fondly. So I can totally re relate. And I also myself try to encourage uh, uh, youngsters and you know, even the subject to project in the end, it's about inspiring. Exactly. So exactly. I think we should do the job to to encourage the next generation. Uh, <clears throat> it's part of our duty. And, and I really appreciate that you, you are doing that. And that's super nice, Marion. Um, I learned from the best. So what happened after you finished your PhD? <clears throat> so I, I finished it and then um, mainly what we do is that we stay with the same supervisor until we find, let's say, a position. OK, this is not a guarantee, but at least in my case, I had papers to finish because most of them, they were submitted, but they were not accepted or they were under revision. So I stayed with Leandro and then Leandro talked to Gilbert and then, yeah, but I'm kind of regretting the, the thing because I could have learned more from Gilbert. You know, it turned out the, that this postdoc a period happened to be so short because I got the position and then I start I got involved with all the teaching and grant writing and everything. But yeah, that's the thing. So we had some like discussion sessions, fun brainstorming sessions with uh, Leandro and Gilbert to find out to find the topic we are working on. We started writing the paper um, and then it went, you know, you know the style, yeah, back yeah. and forth, back and forth, and each time it is like, oh my god, it's getting better, how? Yeah, I, I had the experience again a couple of times working with him, with Joubert Laporte, and uh, I like also the fact that he comes with some Easter eggs or fun facts, yes. and yeah. so it's not only about the notes, so you even get to learn further. It's not only about exactly. the work. Yeah, it's exactly. very, very nice. And yeah. uh, you, you got uh, a position there uh, eventually. Mm -hmm. And uh, how many times uh, did you apply and how did you prepare uh, for, mm -hmm. for you know the presentation and interview or whatever? So um, a position opened up in the same department when I was a PhD student. I applied for it while I was a PhD student, but um, I got rejected. I, I did not get accepted. And then again, the next year, um, another position opened up. And again, I applied for this position. And um, it this time it worked, OK? The thing is that basically it is not recommended that you stay in the same university, okay? And today I totally understand all the challenges, but then me, I want, you know, I had moved a lot around the world and then it was my time to settle down somewhere and I wanted to stay in Quebec. So I tried two times and then finally the second time, as always, you know, my mm. mind is like the second time it works, the first time never. <laughs> Yeah. And how did you prepare uh, uh, to, 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 mm -hmm. to that? I mean, did you apply elsewhere too in Canada? I think I did. I, I applied in Canada and also back in Europe. Okay. Oh. So um, no news, rejections or ah, like. Okay. You know, yeah. Yeah. The usual. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> yeah. Then uh, what I did is uh, for, for the preparation, again, it was the first time that I had to give a talk in French. Oh. In front of like you know, all um, the, the, in front of people from my department. 
and it was stressing again. So what I did is that I asked for help this time. A lot of people like Remy from Switzerland on Skype, Remy's partner, amazing partner, Dion also, and then all the students from the lab, you know, um, everybody, even like I had a, I had an amazing uh, French teacher, like um, a retired French teacher here. And then uh, I presented to her and then she was like, I don't understand, but you're doing good, you know? <laughs> so uh, I practice and practice and practice. And then, yeah, at the end, I was, I was okay. Yeah. I did not panic, you know? Ah. So to summarize, uh, you really worked hard, plus you had a little help from your friends. Not a little, a lot of help. Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. right. Very nice. Uh, so now you had to start teaching and writing grant proposals. How was the process? Mm -hmm. uh, again, freaking scary. Okay, so I started, I had the contract in August. And then I had to start teaching in September. So I had to prepare the course and the course was in French. And then it was the time that, you know, you have the deadlines for, for all the grants, um, uh, let's say in September, in October, like first of uh, November. So it was a really short time to prepare all these things. And I was not expecting, like having had the rejection for the first time, I was not expecting it to work out. So I was not like well prepared. So again, um, Leandro helped a lot with like, uh, the, what is a grant? Mm -hmm. You know, what do you have to put on a grant? And then um, I, I think I, the first time, and it was like my bad, but anyway, you aim always high, right? Mm -hmm. I applied for four grants and then all four of them, they got rejected on the first the first year and then I was disappointed and I was sad again I started asking for help I talked to everyone and I remember Gilbert told me look you have to know for how much you're applying and then you're going to count the number of words you have on your grant so this me this gives you what is the value of each word you have in your grant application uh -huh. so you're not going to write blah 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 uh -huh. you see you're yeah. going to write it to the point and then the second time it worked i think like uh, i got uh, two three accepted the next year yeah always the second attempt right always the second yeah. attempt, right <laughs> yeah yeah very very interesting um so what are your current research projects so um now i continue working on uh let's say i call it integrated optimization of let's say you put decisions together production and distribution together and then they are all, still I'm working in collaboration with companies. So a lot of papers being published or a lot of like research ideas, research projects we have, they are based based on the real world problems. OK, so mainly I would say um, that they are from different contexts, but they are in collaboration with our partners. Um, the other thing that I'm working on, like it is going back to what I did in my master's and then kind of exploring more the idea and being able to link it to what I know from DOR now. And that is like how um, decisions, decisions in supply chain mainly differ from the optimal decisions that kind of we come up with. Okay. So there are a lot of situations in which let's say supplier selection you cannot at the end of the day impose an optimal solution to a company and say this is the supplier you're going to select no there's always some other stuff 
there, some other criteria. Or like you give a route to a driver or like, let's say a picker in a warehouse, there, there is going to be a deviation between what is in reality being done and what the optimal solution is. So the point that for me, it is like how it happens, why it happens and how this knowledge, if it is, let's say there isn't, there was an accident on the road or like this one is a better route. I know it pragmatically. Okay. So now how this information can be kind of used in our OR models or like techniques to come up with some human centered heuristics, if you want to call it, oh. or like um, to kind of uh, make the solutions more uh, company friendly, I would applicable, say. applicable. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So you're looking for managerial insights and try to really understand the real picture. Uh, try to, uh, you know, explore the gap between theory and practice, you know, the real exactly. optimal solution you get, but what is the solution that is worth uh, and makes sense for the company? And there is sometimes exactly. a, a, a gap there. So you were trying to understand these uh, scenarios and propose solutions to uh, improve. Exactly, that's, that will performance. be the goal. Yeah. yeah, that's very, very interesting, Marion, for sure. Uh, so, Marian, uh, changing topics a little bit, recently there has been a turmoil in Iran involving students who were protesting against the current regime. Uh, I can't help but to ask, uh, what is your opinion on this matter? Um, I think like anyone who has uh, an Iranian in the contact list of any social media accounts, would see like uh, these posts popping up because people Iranians around the world have been have tried to be the voice of those in Iran, uh, socially, uh, politically, economically. The situation has not been good like recently, and uh, there were a lot of uh, manifestations. There were a lot of like you know unrest back there in Iran. Um, I think again like people around Iranian around the world have tried to kind of portray what's going, what is happening currently there. Um, but what is important, and I, well, I, I see it from like a professor student, let's say relationship here, is that it has been a tough time and not uh, like, because we, we have been consuming bad news, like us, the Iranian, for quite some time. And it has been constant, you know, every day something was happening. And then um, your sources of news there comes from social media, you know, and then it is like you keep refreshing and refreshing and refreshing. Yeah, it was all over LinkedIn and it still is. Yeah. And still is, right? Mm -hmm. um, so what I saw is that it had like... Iran alone, what's happening back there and what is the situation of the students back there and how they cannot plan their future. And I think you all even get like a lot of applications, a lot of emails from Iranians who want to leave and who wants to start like a PhD, a master position abroad. Uh, but then also from those students here, oh my God, it has been uh, quite a... Um, a kind of difficult, let's say, period. Um, I have an Iranian student, I was passing by the lab and then she was like watching a video and crying in the lab. And then uh, 
I had a student in my course, she was telling me that she has just arrived and then the internet got blocked. So she lost the contact with the family. Just imagine the stress that you have to go to a new country and then uh, you, you lose all the contact with those who can comfort you. There are students who are like master students who depend on the money who sent from Iran to them. And then due to this huge like exchange rate, the, the the exchange rate that is going up and up and changing every day, they kind of are here and feeling a lot of insecurity, financial insecurities. And again, like the fact that you keep getting bad news in every day, it kind of affects like your performance. But I have to say, I'm like very proud of, I saw my students, but I know it is like the same with all the Iranians that I know as they are like hardworking. Uh, it has been a difficult time, but they managed to submit their thesis. They managed to go back to work every day they manage to uh, do their exam. So even though the situation is not good and we keep getting like not really interesting news, uh, they are doing good. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm, I'm proud of all these uh, success stories, let's say. Yeah. So fingers crossed uh, for the things to improve as soon as possible there. And and I want to transmit my positive thoughts to, to the, not only to you, but to, to the Iranian folks and you know especially those that are part of the or community um you guys are going to be fine um so I have yeah mary you were a person who overcame countless rejections in your life to get where you are now and that's very inspiring um from where do you take the motivation to keep always fighting over and over again and to conclude would you like to give some piece of advice to the young talents out there especially those back uh, in iran so it is not only me and i think like being an iranian you are faced by a lot of constraints a lot of restrictions they, some of them they come from the sanctions that they are imposed to iran some of them they are due to you know just being an iranian and having the iranian passport some are social some are cultural a lot of constraints are there but at the end of the day uh, one way would be just to sit somewhere and start crying, saying, oh, my God, nothing works. Life is not fair. That is one way to deal with the situation. The other way, which is like my way, is that I start crying first. OK, and then I cry out my eyes. Oh, life is not fair. Why? 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 And then I have been lucky enough to have friends and family who were constantly telling me, you know, mentors, supervisors friends who keep telling me that no you can do it you can try again why don't you apply working remotely why don't you apply for the visa from another country why don't you do this and then it becomes internal after like some time you are like okay why i do not try again okay the first time is not my time i'm gonna do it again so um as i mentioned earlier the situation in a way that a lot of students, they are sending you emails as much as I want to help everyone. But then, you know, there is also a limit to what you can do. So sometimes I try to give some hints. Let's say, come on, it's not a good idea to send the same email to 15 members of the same department and saying you are really interested in their research. People talk. OK, mm -hmm. or like um, I tell I, I remember I told uh, someone that, um, look, this is not my area of research. So I 
I cannot help you as a supervisor. And then he was telling me, no, you can do it. I'm like, thank you for <laughs> encouraging me, but this is not what I do for research. Or, you know, like if somebody tells you no, it is just like the bad time, bad place. Just try somewhere else. Somewhere else. And learn it from the experience. True. Learn from exactly. the experience. And not just keep exactly. on trying at random. I think that's an important message to give. Yeah, it's not like I'm mass emailing everyone to finally finding a position. No, like realize what you want to do and then find the person who can be a good supervisor for you and then contact that person, get the comments from that person. Sometimes it is just like, I do not have the money to pay you. Or sometimes it is, look, you do not have the CV for a PhD, but you can do a master's. So trust like that maybe another person sees something in your CV that is not there. And then um, just try and try it and try again. But at the end of the day, it is what you want to do. Why you want to do it is really doing a PhD your decision because you want to become a researcher or is it like because you just it is a way to get out of the country you know what i'm saying yes sometimes i you have to redo i i did two masters and then it is like three years of life and you know mm -hmm. it doesn't it doesn't kill you but you get access to the job market faster. You do not need to go through all the difficulties of a PhD because in a PhD, we are supposed to learn something. Mm -hmm. It is not like you come with a package and then you use whatever you have in your package and then you finish up. It is supposed to be hard work, right? Yeah. So it requires your attention and it requires your motivation. So that's, uh, that's what I would say. Yeah, very nice insights, recommendations. And, and I hope people out there will listen to this very uh, valuable uh, uh, inputs that you just uh, provided. Marian, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it has been wonderful. Thank you. It was a nice experience and I'm happy that I've done it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, we still have to meet in person. I know you've already been to Brazil, but uh, yes. you have to maybe see us i already been to canada uh twice but never to quebec yeah. so we have to find a way this to, time you have to come to, to quebec. make the ends yeah. meet somehow <laughs> okay yeah 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 so definitely. take care and keep in touch and all the best okay you too and keep up the nice work uh, subject to project and and many thanks you know how many people just are inspired by watching the video you know you go back and you see a video in which grazia is talking and just by that you learn how you can balance your personal and professional life you know uh -huh. you and then you are like oh my god look they did it so i can also do it hopefully <laughs> yeah for sure you are a very talented uh, professional and i i i'm sure you're going to do well and in the in the you know years to come i'll be very proud to say that i'm your friend so once again uh marian thank you so much and i hope to to see you soon ciao thank you Andrew. bye bye, bye.